As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I am John McKenzie. Joe Devine is dead. Long live the king. But joining me today is... Joe Devine. Hello there. How are you? I'm dead. It's been a while. Well, it's it's been at least two weeks, yeah. Mm. And you are back because you have recorded a very special episode for us. That's right, John. So what I've done is I've anointed you king of the podcast, and then I've come here to take from you the very first special episode, uh, which is with me. Ruben Pinder joined me as well as a wingman, uh, and we spoke to Peter Crouch this morning, which was actually thoroughly exciting. Yeah, no, that is exciting, and I think you had quite an interesting topic to talk to Peter Crouch about, right? Yeah, he's made a film. Um, it's called That uh, Peter Crouch Film. It's a documentary. It's on it's on uh, Prime Video, um, and it's about his career. I didn't really know what to expect, to be honest, when uh, when the, uh, they reached out to us. But they sent us the, the film, which comes out uh, today, so it's available to watch now. And um, it's great. It's about adversity, really, and it, it takes you sort of through Peter Crouch's career, but it does it through the lens of the struggles that he experienced at various different points. Um, and it does really bring home to you, I think, how much shit he had to put up with as a young player because he's very tall, he's unusual looking, doesn't look like other footballers. He definitely heard that from the crowd. He definitely heard that from journalists. He heard it all the way through his career until... He proved himself as an England first team player. So like the level that this guy as a footballer had to go to to, to win over the crowd is like is quite astonishing. And also he experiences adversity from other areas of his life as well, and which the film focuses on. So I speak to him about that for forty minutes. Yeah, and I think adversity is something that all footballers face and they don't often get the chance to talk about it on the level that Peter Crouch has done, both in terms of this film, but also this podcast. So I'm really looking forward to, to hearing what you guys had to say. I'm looking forward to you hearing what I had to say, and Peter Crouch, but mainly me. Joe and I will be back after the episode to introduce you to producer Mike and give you a sense of what's coming up on this podcast. But until then, here's Peter Crouch. Peter Crouch, welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. Thanks for having me. Listen, we're really delighted to have you, and we're here today to talk about a number of things, but uh, part of that will be your uh, film, which is coming out on Prime Video, and it's called That Peter Crouch Film. And do you know what? 
it's really good, isn't it? Are you proud of it? I'm incredibly proud of it. Yeah, I. you don't really know, do you? I think you do these things. And obviously there's a lot of other people involved that I didn't see. You know, like we speak to like Sven Goran Eriksson, Harry Ridnap, you know, my old football coach, uh, some of my friends. And you never know. I didn't really have much control over that. You know, what they say, they say. Uh, but I want it to be honest. I want it to be open. And hopefully that's come across. You, I mean, the film opens and closes with you questioning whether it's a good idea to make a film or not. <laughs> Have you, I mean, since you've seen it now, yeah. do you feel differently? No, I feel like it was a good idea. Yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of it. But uh, yeah, at first I was like, well, there's plenty of footballers or pe people with better careers than me. Or, you know, I, when I think of it, I mean, it's, I stay at the start of the film, you know, when I when you think of these kind of films, you think of like Usain Bolt, you know, um, AP McCoy, uh, like legends in their field you know I I did you know I did well but there's people Brazilian Ronaldo for instance Lionel Messi you know why that's the kind of caliber you you expect from these kind of documentaries mm -hmm. um but then obviously when it was explained to me it was actually that like, your story is interesting um you know I look different to normal footballers I think sometimes I act differently to kind of other footballers and it's a, a reasonably interesting story and um you know having watched it and and, and all the people that have watched it have I've, I've said this, you know, a similar thing. So I'm, I'm really pleased with it and, and glad I've done it now. Yeah, well, me too. Well, listen, I think uh, you, like you said already, it's kind of a, it's a story of adversity. And I've picked a few quotes from near the beginning of the film that kind of uh, bring that to life. Sam Wallace, uh, the, the football journalist, uh, said in, in your film, nothing about him tells you he's a footballer. <laughs> uh, one of your youth coaches described you as Bambi on ice. And another, whose name I didn't catch, said it wasn't going to happen, right? So like this sets the stage for you as a as a young player, and you said already like you looked different. You're a tall guy. What was that like as a as a youth player? Yeah, well, I think I think that's a story. I mean, you know, I you know, the story of my life in many ways. I mean, I was shaped very early on as a you know in the school kind of playground. Um, it's similar to the terraces in many ways. Uh, you know, if you look different, you are kind of you know, picked on or. or or um, you know, targeted if you like. But uh, my way of combating that was always um, it helps that you're going to football at school. And I think um, you know, I'd combat it through humour. So if someone was going to say something about me, I'd always say it before they did, in a more humorous way than they were going to. And I think that stops it stone dead, right? And I think that sort of shaped me as a personality anyway. And I'm still kind of, you know, in my career after football, that's the kind of person I am. And I think that's obviously evident to see. But there were difficult times and I didn't want this film to be like a sub story of like, you know, oh, please feel sorry for me. Um, but all it was was being honest, um, you know, being kind of making it in a in the football world and looking the way I did, I didn't look like a footballer basically. And I think um, there was, a, you know, there was there was people really trying to knock me down because of that. But there's also people that gave me a chance, even you know, despite that, mm. um, which I'm very grateful for because um, you know it'd be quite easy for people like Sven uh, with England to not pick me because I didn't look right, you know, and I didn't fit the mould of what an England footballer should look like. Yeah. Uh, so credit to him, really, to to because he took got a bit of flack for picking me in the first place, and yeah, thankfully it worked out. But you know, he could have got a lot of stick for it. When you watch the film back, or maybe this is part of of participating in the film and answering the questions as part of your interview. Like I think a lot of the time, lots of people suffer and 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 struggle with with adversity of various different forms. Um, but sometimes it's not really that clear to the person 
what that looks like in the fullest sense until they tell somebody else or they watch themselves like talking through it. So when you watch the film, do you do you sort of feel the scale of what you were up against as a young player? Does it? How does it make you feel? I suppose is what I'm asking. Yeah, I mean, you know, because I'm in such a different place now, where um, you know people kind of people respect me as a footballer. Um, people know you know who I am, and 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 generally I can go back to the clubs that I've played for, and it's always you know quite a nice welcome and things like that you know obviously when I was starting out you know I was quite I was ridiculed really for looking the way I did um you know that was hard but like because football's kind of this I think the world's changed now a little bit more um but sort of when I was coming through it was very much um you know very macho kind of industry where you don't show any weakness and I think that's what football is in general right if you show a if you show a small window of weakness that's preyed upon right by and I'm talking in the dressing room you know when you're you know by your managers by the parents like it's just it's one of those industries and I went in with my eyes open you know I know that that's a harsh environment um and I was totally fine with that you know I, I could cope with it but um it's still when you're kind of an impressionable 13 14 15 year old lad you know it can that can be quite hard to take um, and it was difficult at times, and I didn't speak to anyone. Like you say, you, you say, you know, what was that like for me? Like I wouldn't have told anyone. None of my mates, none of mm. my family. Um, well, there's a scene in the film where you show your wife Abby. Uh, you're looking through some old headlines and pieces that were written about you of like some really unpleasant stuff, mm. and you're kind of you're sort of laughing at it as you yeah. read through. She's seeing it, and you and you 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 mentioned that she's seeing it for the first time. And she's horrified. <laughs> like she, she yeah. she's upset, visibly upset in that scene. And obviously, on on the one hand, there's um, it's, it's interesting to me that you know, she, yeah, she obviously would have that reaction. But also that maybe you hadn't really like. I mean, I'm sure she knew that that had happened to you. But like maybe you hadn't really ever had a conversation that deep yeah. about it before. Not once. Not once have I discussed her and said like, you know, listen. It was only because I was, I was doing this film that like this stuff came up. Like, this is this yeah. is something that you know. Yeah, it was a difficult time, but. There's no point, you know, I don't need to, I'm through that now, I don't need to tell her about the dark times that I had, you know, it's, uh, but yeah, she, it, it, she, her mind was blown. She was like, how can they, how can people write this stuff, you know, and, um, and, and, and the way she's seeing that for the first time um, reminded me of, of my mum at the time, yeah. you know, because she was involved in it, right? So she had to stop buying newspapers. Um, you know, well, I, I, we stopped watching a lot of the football kind of t television on football. You know, sorry, football on television. Yeah. Um, not the games, because obviously the games are the games, and that you know, if I wasn't playing, it was fine to watch. But stuff like you know, kind of talk shows or anything to do with with football, really. Like even match of the day. You know, if I when I was going through that spell at Liverpool without scoring, um, it was hard for my mum to take. You know, if she was at the games and she heard things as well then it wasn't such for me. I put myself in that position, you know, and I, I was well, there. Well, you were a kid, right? Like, yeah, but so, you know, I'm, I'm a professional of. footballer now and I'm, I expect grief from, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's part and parcel of the job, I think. That's the way I was looking at it. Um, but my mum didn't need to hear it, you know, and I was, yeah. I'd always think of, uh, when, when people were saying things, I would always think of my mum. I think, yeah, so it's, uh, don't worry about me because, I put myself out here, but my mum didn't sign up for that, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your mum's not in the documentary. No, no, I mean, she's, um, she she was amazing, like, career-wise for me, like, 
get, like I say, ferrying me around to take me to Tottenham for revealing. And if anyone's been on the North Circular um, at five, five o'clock in the afternoon, uh, it's not a fun place to be. No. Um, going to White Hart Lane every Tuesday and Thursday. But my dad was very much, it was like me and my dad did the football. So obviously he was, he was the one that was always going to be featured. Yeah. Well, your dad features quite heavily in the film. Mm. And um, it's interesting. It's like, it made me think actually, one of the main themes that I think this film has. Have you seen Whiplash? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Do you yeah. like that film? I love it, yeah. So for the benefit of the audience, mm. Whiplash is a, a film about a music student, jazz drummer, mm. and his teacher. And his teacher has a very unconventional and like quite aggressive methods to teach him. Um, and the film, basically, the central question of the film is like, is, is what the teacher hypothesizes correct or not? And what the teacher thinks is that you have to be like this in order to create legends. If a student, even if they were really talented, if they couldn't live up to the pressure then they were never intended to be a legend, right? And obviously that's a very extreme example of that sort of theme. But that's really interesting to me because I feel like you can see that across all sorts of different industries. And football is, is one of them as well. We hear lots of stories about footballers who have uh, super supportive parents, parents who really push them hard. And I think there's also, like there's a tendency sometimes to kind of, for footballers who've become successful to look back and think, well, this, is, this was a situation I was in and therefore that led to success equals like it was it was the right thing to do this is something that comes up in your film because your your dad well he's nothing like jk simmons character from whiplash your dad was hard on you as a as a kid and it was clear that at times you found that difficult what was that like and when you reflect on it now as a parent as well how do you feel about it yeah i um I, I wouldn't be here without my dad, right? And I know, obviously, Dad did a whiplash film. Like you say, it's obviously a very, um, you know, heightened version of what yeah. my dad was. But my dad was brilliant with me, right? From a, from a really young age, you know, it was all about enjoyment, all about enjoyment. Um, it was about playing with a smile on your face. It was, we'd go in the garden and we'd, we'd play games and he'd give me little tasks to do. Um, he'd go to work and he'd do, you know, I was nine, ten, you know, do 20 keepy-ups. And if you beat that, you know, it was like a prize. I'd come home and I'd go, Dad, I got 30. And he'd come out to the garden, I'd do 30 for him. Then it was 50, then it was 100. Then it was, you know, then it was, it was just constantly working on my, my, my ability. And it was always enjoyable. Yeah. And then obviously I get to like 13, 14 and things become a little bit more. And he realised that I had, I had a chance. You know, I had a, not a gift, but I had a, I had a, you know, skill set that would potentially make me a, you know, a professional footballer. And he knew that's all I wanted to be. So all he did was hone in on that. Um, yeah, and he was hard on me at times, um, but he was just realizing my dream. And I thank, I thank him every single day. Like the way I look, you asked me about where, how I look back on it. I look back on it uh, fondly. And there were times where, obviously. You know, you get back in the car after the game, there's always the same question, uh, when I play badly, how do you think you played? Yeah. And that was, the, that was the question where I was like, well, not very well if he's saying that. No. <laughs> you know, if I get back in the car, it's like, oh, well done today. It's always the silence first. And then, and if you, if you speak to, I reckon, the majority of, of footballers, um, you know, whose dads were, were involved in their, in their football career at a young age, um, most of the players, that dads or guardians, people around them were hard on them. Mm. And I think, because you can lose your way, I think it's, as you probably know, I think a kid who's 15 to kind of 21, there's so many kind of pitfalls, um, distractions, yeah. 
Um, you know, I was probably the most dedicated of my whole life between 15 and 21. And that was down to my dad. And I'm reaping the rewards of that dedication every single day now. Yeah. And I think what I'll try and instill in my kids, I, as, maybe I won't be as hard on them as, as, as maybe my dad was at times, but I'll still try and instill that, that kind of belief and that kind of work ethic in, during that period, as hard it is, as it is for them to, to kind of not get distracted by what everyone else is doing. I still think it's such an important time. And whatever kind of business or trade you get into, if you can, if you can concentrate in those years when a lot of people are losing their way, you, you've got a leg up on, on, on a lot of you know, percentage of, of kids in that position. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What, but what about this, though? If I were to say... You're, you, you were an extremely successful Premier League footballer, right? And now you're a national treasure. It's really worked out for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right yeah I know a lot. Let's be honest. You're having a great time and we're all delighted that you are. <laughs> if you hadn't been a successful footballer, mm. if you'd showed talent at the age that, that you did, that your father saw in you, that other adults saw in you as well, and they'd tried in the best possible way to, to nurture that, um, but that was difficult for you, and it hadn't worked out for you, as it does for so many young players. Do you think you'd be sitting here and looking back on, reflecting on that? And do you think you would feel differently about it? Or, or do you, how much, I guess, what I'm saying, do you think your success biases your opinion? Mm. Yeah, no, it, yeah, I think it probably does. But um, I, I, I still would have rather have, you know, that shot at it, you know, and, and, and having that kind of guy. So many kids don't have that, you know. I feel blessed that I've had that. I had a dad that cared, yeah. you know. Well, it was there. That one of his son was involved, number one, but had a, had a, he knew my goal was to try and, be, and, and plenty of footballers, and, and I, I know footballers that didn't make it, so I can tell you from experience, I speak to them, and they're like, their dad was, was probably just as harsh as mine, mm. and they didn't make it, but they're still thankful that, they had they had a shot at that. They had you know their dad gave them that opportunity to 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 try. Yeah, and I suppose I think, you can instill those values in other areas as well. Like if you move on to something that isn't football, you still like learn the same things that exactly are valuable right. later in life. Right? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's like it's little things like um, my dad would let me make my own decisions, and and he would go, you know, I, I'll go as a party on Friday night, um, and I'm 17 years old, right, and I've got a game the next day. I said, oh, everyone's going to whole school. Got like, I'm going to go, you know. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, you go, he goes, you go. He said, do you think all the lads tomorrow? Do you think they're going to parties? And I'd be like, well, probably not. No. And he go like, he go, yeah, just something like, just something to think about. <laughs> and would you go? And I'd be like, 
oh, for, for bollocks. <laughs> he's got me. And you then hate I w- that he's right. I wouldn't go, yeah, you know? Yeah. And I, and, but then he'd allow me to think it was my decision. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'd be thinking, you know what kids are like. It's like, no, I'm, you've got to make your own decisions. I'm an, I'm an adult now. And he just puts seeds of doubt in my mind and then I'd end up, you know, just concentrating on the football. And I think that was a great way of parenting. Oh, bearing all that in mind, he also stuck up for you quite a lot when you were going through that period of getting quite a lot of stick in the press. And he confronted a journalist. Was that during the 2006 yeah, World was, Cup? Yeah. You mentioned that in the film. Mm. What, what did he say? Oh, my God. Um, I don't know if I've ever mentioned who it was. Um, but oh, I'm not going to bow to now. Um, but he basically it was descriptive words in all the kind of written press. I mean, and there was a thing. It was I think it's slightly it was a lot different now, but it was very much kind of us v them, if you know what I mean. It was a golden generation of England footballers that were billed as kind of overpaid, not not um, winning anything, um, too much hype surrounding them, that kind of thing. And then obviously the pre- it was very much kind of, that's the press's angle. And then ours was like, well, if they're going to say that about us, we won't talk to them. And it felt like it was just a clash constantly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he was not happy about some of the descriptive language that was used about me. It was never Peter Crouch, right? It was always lanky hitman, beanpole striker, um, you know, lanky target man. Always a descriptive word that um, went before my name. So my dad just had enough of it one day. And you got to remember, we're in Baden-Baden, obviously, and uh, somehow the players' families got put in the same hotel as the press, right? So this is the... Which would not happen now. Where the <laughs> carnage bad planning ensued. That, yeah. Yeah. And, and you've got to remember the journalists at that time, obviously, were, were, quite, were quite nasty about the players. So the players' families, obviously, there was a lot of... In that hotel. I mean, if you'd have been a fly on the wall in that hotel, it would have been a... Doc- it's a documentary for the ages, that one. Um, and anyway, my dad just pulled one of the journalists that was consistently saying negative things about me in the press and... Uh, <laughs> I don't know how am I going to put this. <laughs> I don't know, I'm allowed to swear on this, aren't I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so he said, how would you like it if I said that fat cunt before your name every time? <laughs> and he said, I wouldn't particularly like it. And he said, well, stop saying about my son then. And he went, well, and he, he actually never really thought yeah. about what he was writing, you know, yeah. and that people's families were reading it. And I think yeah. also in that hotel in Baden-Baden, like actually a lot of the families got across their point to a lot of the journalists that were being so negative about the footballers. And actually, I think humanised it, if you know what I mean, like made it actually, what you're writing is about human beings, you know, and because uh, quite often I think it's a, it's a, it's something a football is seen as a great job, you know. Um, you're incredibly highly paid for it. Yeah. Um, it's like we can say what we like because of that. But the answer is often that well, they've put themselves in that position. Yeah. They're earning all this money. Like you know, yeah. they're, they're they're fair game. They're open to scrutiny, exactly. which I don't really think well, is I think reasonable. As, as the player, I think as the player, I think yeah, because you know you know what you're getting into, right? Yeah. Like, it's just the, like it's the families, like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's the it's my mum. It's you know the whoever's mum it is or, or you know they, they take it harder from one father figure to another Harry Redknapp who it features very heavily dad. in this film so your other dad yeah um, it's uh, the first question I want to ask you about Harry Redknapp is you know for a long time there was a sort of a very basic joke which is that wherever Harry Redknapp went he was going to buy Peter Crouch uh, and and Jermaine Defoe to go with him and Jermaine Defoe and Nico. <laughs> That's true, yeah. I mean, there's a whole host of films. <laughs> but one of the things I love the most about this film is um, it, it are the scenes that involve you and and Terry Redknapp, mm. right? And it, I felt like it added so many layers of context to that sort of basic meme. 
Uh, and I can completely understand not only why Harry Redknapp would want you to play for him, but why you would want to play for Harry Redknapp. Like, will you just talk to me a little bit about that relationship? Because he seemed like someone who just believed in you from the offset. Yeah, and that is uh, exactly what I got from Harry. And I think, um, you know, in the, obviously in the film, we, we talked about um, my time at Southampton because that was the key moment for me and Harry, I think. Um, because when I first arrived, I was he came in as director of football and I was at Portsmouth at 19. It was Graham Ricks that originally signed me with Milan Mandarich as chairman. And Harry came in as director of football. And he actually, the first thing he ever did when I met him for the first time was sell me. So... You know, people think, oh, he always buys me. He sold me like two or three times as well. <laughs> um, you know, so the first one was, was Portsmouth. I went to Villa. Um, you know, they got they got quite, you know, quite a lot of money for me in those days. Um, so I moved on to Villa. And then uh, obviously then since then he came in at Southampton. And this was the real important part of my of my career because I don't know where I'd be without that time at Southampton with Harry. Um, because I'd, I'd been to Villa and it didn't work out for me. Um, I had to drop back down... Um, I say back down, I mean, still a Premier League side to, to Southampton. I went on loan to Norwich and I was thinking maybe I'm a championship player. I mean, that's genuinely my thought process. Um, <clears throat> I thought I had the ability, but my body wasn't, I hadn't caught, sort of caught up really. I wasn't ready for the Premier League till I was 23. I turned 23 at Southampton and uh, I wasn't playing. I had um, obviously James Beattie and Kevin Phillips, like two fantastic centre forwards, were playing ahead of me. And then James Beattie got sold to Everton. I thought that's my chance. But then um, Paul Sturrock got stacked and Steve Wigley took over and he was part of the youth team and he was bringing through like Leon Best and Dexter Blackstock and they were, they were playing ahead of me. And I, and I was on the bench and I was thinking, oh my God, like, this is my final shot at the Premier League really and I'm nowhere near it, I'm miles off it. Uh, and then uh, Steve Wigley got sacked, Harry comes in and then that's... that's you know, I never look back. Literally. But what, what was it about his management that allowed you to click back into form? Yeah, the first thing he said to me was, why are you not playing? And I was like, I don't know. And he said, um, well, that's absolutely ridiculous. He said, you will start. If you're fit, you'll start. You and Kevin Phillips will start every single game till the end of the season. Um, and you'll score the goals to get us out of trouble. And we were already in a lot of trouble. And um, yeah, I scored 16 goals after Christmas. Uh, to 0405. Yeah, and I went from being am I a championship player to signing for the European Championship champions, um, Liverpool, just after Istanbul, and making my England debut, like in half a season, and like that's the influence that he had on me. And I'm saying obviously that player was in there anyway. It just needed someone to believe in it to get it out and that's what I got from Harry and obviously since then obviously we we worked together at Portsmouth at Tottenham because I always did well for him and he was always brilliant with me you know we, we had that relationship and, and and he knew how to get the best out of me so it always it always worked because football management is is a complex thing but sometimes it can be that simple right like if especially if you are a striker who depends on confidence to play in front of goal and like bearing that in mind do you think Harry Redknapp nowadays kind of gets a little bit of an unfair rap, like he's not quite given the credit he deserves for how good he was as a manager because he wasn't necessarily like a tactical innovator, but he was brilliant man manager by the sounds of things. Exactly. You hit the nail on the head there. Like the thing with Harry Redknapp is he would simplify everyone's game to the point and he's a great people person, you know, he knows how to, uh, he knows how to operate and he'd simplify everyone's game. And like you say, like tactically, but yeah, but you know, that's, that's only half the job, you know, like Rafa Benitez was probably one of the best managers I ever worked with tactically. Um, but around people, you know, not 
not anywhere near Harry. You know, like uh, he, he wouldn't understand kind of people's feelings or who who you know how to how to simplify people's game. When I say, say simplify people's games, I remember Wilson Palacios possibly being one of the best midfielders in the country at Tottenham at the, at the time and Wigan before that. Um, and and how, all Harry used to say to him was like, what, do what you're good at. And that was, you go and hunt the ball down, you go and win it back and you give it to Luka Modric. It's, it's a simple, it's a simple but effective way of playing, you know, and um, similar to me, you know, if I'm in the team, it's like, you know, we've got to get crosses in, you know, we've got, to, we've got to hit him early, you know, there's different ways of playing and he was, he was fantastic at that and the biggest compliment I could pay to Harry is, um, I think he would be um, just as good a manager, you know, a non-league team as he would in charge of England or Manchester City, you know, I don't think many managers could say that, I think there's managers who can manage the kind of top level players who couldn't manage you know, at a lower level, whereas I think he could manage the whole way through the Football League. And, and I'm, I also think he could manage at the top level. I think he would have been a great England manager mm. because he deals with people, you know, egos, personalities, um, and he can bring that all together. Well, there's a, there's a moment in the film when you, you play, you're playing golf with him in the rain. It hasn't really worked. Um, and you, you thank him, I think, essentially for everything that you've just said. Mm. And it's not clear to me, like, I'm sure you've had these sorts of conversations before and like, there's an element of, like, there's a lot of cameras filming you and it's a bit uncomfortable. He, it's like his body language when you do that, he kind of eschews the thanks straight away. It's like he, he accepts it verbally, but it's, he's a bit uncomfortable that you're doing it. And I wonder like, you know, I know I've, I'm, I've asked you on here and I keep trying to get you to talk about your feelings, but when... When you try to have conversations like that with people in football, it sometimes seems like that there is a, an element of masculinity to the tone of those conversations. And one of the things I find sweeter than like anything else is watching two football men try to have an emotional conversation. <laughs> and it's, it's like there are not many words involved and you can see the meaning there, but like, it's almost like he doesn't know how to accept what you're saying, but you can see that he, he feels it, right? Mm. Is that the impression that you get from that conversation? Do you would you have a different one if cameras weren't there? Am I way off the mark? Or no, you're you're spot on. Like that, kind of, like I feel <laughs> felt like a bit of a knob saying thank you, yeah, and then he felt like a knob trying to receive that compliment. You know what I mean? So we both went like. Like, I was like, thanks, Harry, for everything. And he was like, shut up. You idiot. And I was like, well, if we hadn't have been on camera doing this film, we wouldn't have even mentioned it. I would have just said, Harry got horse running today and he'd have gone, yeah, and yeah. we'd have just discussed it like that. But I think that that's kind of like how a lot of men operate anyway, I think. Sure, um, yeah. You go down the pub and you don't even ask any questions about how you're feeling or, you know, how's the family. You just talk about, you know, do you think that fly is going to win up the wall against that other one? <laughs> But that's the kind of, you just slip straight back into yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of ridiculous conversations. But, um, you know, I still, I genuinely believe that about Harry. Like he was, he was brilliant with me and, and still is to this day. And I still get to speak to him every now and then. And um, I know the old joke about obviously Harry always signing me and Jermaine and Nico. Um, but you know what Harry did? Because he knew the players that he trusted and uh, he knew players who were going to deliver for him. And I like to think, you know, I was one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think whether it's sort of in the text or not, like it's clear from, from that moment, it's like dripping with male meaning. So I really, I really enjoyed that. 
Do you, during the 2006 World Cup, uh, Pep Guardiola wrote a column in a Spanish newspaper and he wrote about you. Are you aware of it? I am aware of it. Yeah, someone yeah. sent me this. I'll, I'll read out a small passage um, just so we don't waste time. But um, he says, with Crouch, you have to play for Crouch. Um, and don't turn your nose up at that. Playing to him means a lot. He gives a lot. And then he goes on to elaborate on how good you were at bringing other players into play. Do you think you'd be a good Pep Guardiola player? Do you know what? Like, obviously, like with like now that we're starting to, well, not starting, but we're, you know, he's one of the greatest managers who's ever walked this planet, right? Um, plays, you know, we, he's changed the kind of the dynamic or the way the way we think about football, you know, you know, that's how good he is. Um, and and to hear those comments was really like, it was quite eye-opening for me. And uh, obviously I feel really proud of it. I think he was talking about, I think it might have been the... Uh, 2006 World Cup yeah. I think he was talking about me and um, he was just saying you know how you could play the ball into me and uh, you know I could bring others it was, it's not just about obviously being tall and things like that and I think he re- recognised how much the team could get out of playing with me and into my feet um, and I obviously am very very grateful for that you know to come from someone like that that he obviously um, you know rates me as a player number one um, is and, 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 and number two that um, could I play for Pep Guardiola? Yeah, I like to think I could because I, th- I think I adapted to pretty much all the all the teams I played for. I mean, there were times that you know towards the end where I was becoming kind of the stereotype of what people thought I should be in the first place, uh, where I was kind of at Stoke or at Burnley, where it was very much kind of long ball and um, I was using my head a lot more than I did. But then I played at Tottenham in a team with. Van der Vaart, Luka Modric, Gareth Bale, uh, Aaron Ennen. Some good service you know. there, isn't it? Well, you know, but the most of that was on the floor, you know, and, like, and that was and, uh, Liverpool, you know, um, you know, with Gerrard and Alonso and Mascarano. Um, so I, I, I'd like to think that I could adapt to, to kind of any situation. And I think even with England as well, you know, if you think about the players we had there, like, you know, we weren't launching the ball up to me. You know, a lot of it was controlled, a lot of it was through my feet and a lot of it was through midfield and or drop deep or, yeah, I'd play on the angle, but you could play into my chest. You'd take the press out of the game, drop it into my chest and we'd just play from higher up. Um, you know, we'd still play football, but... We'd just play, you know, we'd be in the final third quicker and we'd be able to play passes from there and we've taken out so many players. So, um, yeah, I'd like to think I could adapt to to most um, styles of football uh, and I I could hold my own in a Guardiola team. Um, Would I get in a team now? Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) But I'd like to think that I could have played for one of his teams, yeah. You don't think you'd displace Holland from the bench? Um, Last 10, 15, I'd come on. You know, once he's got his hat trick, yeah. I could nick a brace probably in that too. <laughs> Talk about eating the crumbs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take them. <laughs> yeah. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. 
Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, your robot dance, by the way. This is another thing I loved about the film. Uh, I never thought about your robot dance in this way before. I just thought it was a, break like, it down for you. A, fun, a fun dance. And I'm not going to ask you to do it. But... What I really loved about this is that um, the film sort of explores the idea that your robot dance is actually like a, a symbol of your emerging confidence, which I had never considered that before. I just thought it was like a guy doing a silly thing. We you, you talk to me about that idea a little bit? Yeah, well, you know what? Like, it's, it's obviously to me, it's a huge thing. But like, it, like you say, it is just a, a, an odd looking fella doing a ridiculous dance <laughs> when he's done something great. <laughs> That's what it should be. But actually, like, it symbolised something. It was, like I said before, right, you have the press, like, kind of, um, and, and who were very kind of anti-England team at that time, and the England team were very kind, of, and it was, it was like us and them, right? And then for some reason, this ridiculous kind of dance kind of turned, like, a, a quite an aggressive press. So like, all of a sudden it was like, oh, this is great. We all love this. And everyone got involved. I remember seeing in the Times there was a pullout of how to do it. Um, you know, it was I was on CNN and it was body poppers in New York telling me what I was doing wrong. And it was, it lifted the mood, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And Sven, I always remember it. Sven, used to, he came in over to me and he was like, um, this robot. And I thought he was going to say like, come on, like it's about the football. We need to stop this now. And he was like, this is great. And he said, uh, whenever you score, you have to keep doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, right. You know, because Sven was getting a lot of heat. Do you remember? It was all like, there was a fake shake involved. There yeah, was, yeah, yeah. you know, we were talking about Aston Villa or whatever it was. And it was. It seemed to be he was on the front page every every week. And he was like, this stuff is great. You're like, just keep distracting them with this <laughs> stupid dance. Yeah. Uh, so it actually kind of, it kind of helped um, that that kind of process. And you see now with Gareth Southgate and what they've built, like it's a really harmonious situation where it looks club England, um, but it very much wasn't like that when we played. And that's something that people talk about a lot with the England team is comparing that era, like that you played in sort of two thousand six to two thousand ten, and now the golden generation. Yeah, and yeah. The, and the contrast in kind of like vibe and atmosphere between the players, because like Harry Kane and Bukayo Saka the other day were celebrating together at Old Trafford. Now with the kind of quote unquote golden generation. Um, the the like perceived wisdom is that the players from different clubs mm. were very clicky and didn't really speak to each other. How, was it was it actually that kind of segregated, or could you sense that when you were there? You could sense it, yeah, hundred um, percent. You know, when I when I look at England now, I don't see Saka an Arsenal player, and I don't see Kane a Tottenham player. I see two England players enjoying a goal, and I it didn't even you know I didn't even think of that if like till you just said it. Uh, whereas if I saw Gary Neville jump on Steven Gerrard's back after a goal, I'd be like, oh, mm. that's, a, that's a weird one. You know, who, but I actually think the Premier League was better for it, um, but England suffered because of it. So I felt like the Premier I, I wanted to see two teams that hate each other in the Premier League go to war. You know, I want to see um, Gary Neville and... Jamie Carragher have a 50-50 you know I want to see um, you, you know the, the, the Arsenal v United games that we used to yeah, see there were know, some the, amazing battles the, yeah the they? Chelsea yeah. Liverpool kind of semi-finals uh, in the Champions League that kind of hatred and bitterness and that's what football's about it's tribalism right yeah. I, loved, I loved that and I think 
yeah, it was the detriment of England. So, I mean, it's it, it's it's a balance, isn't it? I mean, you know, we don't want to see teams swapping shirts at half time in a North London derby, but then we do want to see Saka and Kane celebrating at World Cup. So, you know, where's the yeah, it's, it's a, a bit of a double edged sword. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Speaking of battles, we can't let you go without uh, talking about the greatest Premier League goal ever scored in history, which was scored by you. Did you, how did you feel when you watched Papa Cisse score that same season? Were you, oh, were you devastated? This, this wrangles with me, and still to this day, and I don't know how long ago it is, it's probably like 12 years or something, but how Cisse's beat me to goal of the season that I year? I don't know either. I don't know either. He's hit a banana shot um, at Stamford Bridge. That went in, to be fair, it was a great goal. I'll give him it. It's the camera angle for that one. I think that's where that's where yours is let down it, because they? you're right behind it and you see the movement of the ball and that it just does things to you when you watch that. Whereas the, I think there's more technique in what you've done. I think it's clearly the superior goal. The ball doesn't that touch is, of course, the until no, Cisse comes to do the podcast, in which case, obviously, yeah, we'll of course, say that one's better. But uh, I think the technique in yours is, is is superior. Well, I just feel like it's 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 been thought about. You know what I mean? Like I've popped it up and then volleyed it. You know, and I tried it at Black. Burn the week before. I remember Paul Robinson saying the exact same thing. It drops and I, 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 I popped it up and volleyed it. But anyone who knows me knows that I do that every, I don't do that every single day, but I try it every single day. Like I just loved volleying. As a kid, I was like obsessed with kind of like Hugo Sanchez, Gianluca Vialli, you know, players who could, um, Van Basten, you know, players who could volley a ball. Right? It's the best type of goal. Oh, I just loved it. I just was obsessed with it. How many misses is that goal worth to you? I'd have missed one. I'd have missed one a game my whole career to get that one. I think yeah. <laughs> it is. It is absolutely outstanding. Oh, no, though, yeah. isn't it? It's, it's nice like, to look back on. So cool to have that. We, Fine, tried, right. we tried to recreate it once. It didn't work. I know. <laughs> so have I since, and it didn't work either. Should we finish up with some word association? Yeah, let's do word association. You happy to do word association? Yeah, looking forward to it. Okay, how this works? I'm going to say these are mostly uh, player names to you. I'm going to say a player name to you, and then you can just say one word. One word. Ideally, you could, you could, if you need to say a sentence, if you feel compelled to say a sentence, okay. feel free. Okay. But just try and do it as quickly as possible. Okay. And we'll cut out the ones that are unpublishable. Yeah? Okay. Okay. Emil Heskey. Um, assists. Yeah, that's the right word. That's the word I had in my head as well. In the taxi on the way here, Wayne Rooney. Oh, I've got I've got so many words. <laughs> I've got so many. Oh, uh, genius. Yeah, fair enough. I liked Poir as well yeah. at the beginning, though. That's <laughs> noises are permitted in this game. I really got on with him with England. You know what I mean? So I was going to go with his personality. You know, because obviously everyone knows how good he is as a player, and it was easy for me to say genius. But no one like he, he kept the England squad was made by him. You know what I mean? He was he kept people together. And um, there's that bit in the film where you do that kind of mock interview with somebody yeah, we, who's filmed it on like a really old yeah. camera or whatever. And yeah, you can see his personality coming out there. Brilliant, yeah. you know. And I think sometimes he's guarded around like interviews and things like that. But, but brilliant around the England camp. If you need to make a noise instead of saying a word, that's also permitted. Oh, so okay. just to let, just to let yeah. you know, that's fine. Nico Cruncher. Underrated. Yeah, for sure, right? You'd have to agree with that. Uh, Van der Vaart. Partner. Yeah? What do you mean by partner? My partner. Okay. Me and him just clicked. Yeah, you, moment, re you really did. The moment he came, even in training, the first day, he just got my game. And, 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 and you know, he, he got mine, I got his. It was just, it was a good partnership. It was a shock transfer as well, that, yeah. wasn't it? He came from Last Real Madrid, day. yeah. Luka Modric. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> you've, already, you've already said genius. So, yeah, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. No, I never saw him give the ball away. 
Uh, not even in training. Yeah. He also does have incredible hair. Oh, what a beautiful man. And what a great fella. Incredible, yeah. What, is he 37 now, still playing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great fella as well. Great, like, great guy. All the Croatian boys were. Oh, that's good to know. Gareth Bale. Galactico? Yeah. Um, what was he like to play with? I mean, obviously he was brilliant. Yeah, well, it was funny because I was there at that kind of period of like, he was not doing well at all and there was a it was a he was going to go to Nottingham Forest oh, yeah and there was that curse wasn't there, that and curse he, you know, he was playing left yeah, back it's like yeah. playing Cristiano Ronaldo right back yeah. you know he's going to get exposed every now and then um, and that's what happened to him and then he's watching his like rise was just it was great that, that inter tie where you linked up my con yeah. and that whole like the hat trick in the San Siro and then he just it's like watching that kind of shy little like left back then to watching someone just control games it was just a great just watching that rise it was brilliant very cool um fabio capello harsh yeah uh, yeah harsh fair enough fair enough uh jermaine defoe greedy <laughs> <laughs> do you think you'd have more over like oh, more goals with yeah. class, yeah. you know guy could have passed a few times <laughs> um harry redknapp what one word? You can have more if you want, but uh, I'd like to hear one. I, I'll take a noise. Take a noise. Um, yeah, make a noise about I, Harry Redknapp. I, I, I make a noise about Harry Redknapp. Yeah. Terrific. There you go. It's <laughs> the perfect combo of the two. Uh, fine. Then we'll do one. We'll do one modern day player. Yeah. Kevin De Bruyne. Passing. Um, yeah, what a passer of the ball. Like that. It's just a, just a beautiful. I, I remember I was on the bench at Stoke and I think they beat a 7 2. And I was on the bench. Thankfully, I didn't get on. And I. Oh, I remember that game. He was at 17 18. He was an absolute joke. Of pass. Yeah. And, and I'm not joking. When he came off, obviously, I'm, I'm on the bench, but I'm, in the, I'm at the Etihad. And I remember standing up. So everyone stood up standing ovation when he came off. And obviously, I forgot that I was like on the bench. So, <laughs> I'm, uh, so I stood up. And I said, oh, 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 fuck, I'm playing the other team. <laughs> That's how good it was. He does know, that to you. I forgot where I was. Uh, well, listen, uh, that Peter Crouch film, I think it came out today, didn't yeah, it? On Prime today. Video. Uh, are you excited? Yeah, I'm very excited about it. Yeah, because you know what? I'm proud of it. And, um, you know, I want people to see it. So uh, hopefully they will because um, I think they'll enjoy it. Yeah, it felt like seeing a, a new side of you that um, I think everybody presumed existed, but in the existing media that you do on telly or on your own podcast, you don't often see that kind of vulnerability. Mm. So, yeah, that, that that comes through a lot. Yeah, I appreciate that. that. Thank you. Yeah, I think I, I would agree. I would also say that there are a lot of football documentaries and this is a, a valuable addition to, to, to that roster. So I would encourage people to go and see it. Also, you got you got another Crouch Fest coming up, uh, haven't you? Yeah. When's that? That's uh, 4th of November. Thanks for asking, but it's uh, it's our favourite time of the year where we just have a have a big party at Wembley Arena, and uh, yeah, tickets on sale on the thirtieth of June. But uh, yeah, people buy tickets and they have no clue what to expect, and uh, thankfully they come, and hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it'll be uh, it'll be just like last year. Yeah, yeah, super. Well, listen, uh, Peter Crouch, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Appreciate, it. thank you. So that was Peter Crouch. Very exciting. That was it. Was exciting, wasn't it? That's the uh, word I would use to describe the interview. Hmm. What, what was it that you took away from that interview that was most interesting to you? Um, 
I think that he's like he's a very interesting media personality. He's obviously like a fantastic footballer, and we've all seen that on our television screens and in person for many many years. But he's extremely comfortable in a social environment. Like it's really clear to see when you speak to him in person why he's a fantastic podcaster, why he's comfortable on the stage, um, and also I think it's interesting that he. I guess like he's retired, he's got kids and stuff. He's at a place in his life where he's probably like able to reflect a bit more, and he's not going game, you know, weekend to weekend, game to game. Uh, but he's quite a considerate person. He se- seems to think about things quite a lot. So it wasn't a, he wasn't a difficult person to speak to. Mm-hmm. That's what I enjoyed about the interview. Joe, what about Peter's personality? Do you think helped him throughout the challenges of his career? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think actually he he says in the film um, that the reason that he developed his sense of humor was as a response to that adversity. I think it's like a pretty normal thing that you see happen quite a lot. I think that's his sort of defensive skill set, if anything. And it's kind of brilliant because whilst maybe it was originally intended to help him, uh, you know, get through that level of adversity, it now also doubles as a perfect media tool. Uh, So I think it is one of the reasons why, yeah, he's, he's a terrific broadcaster. And that was a different voice that you may have heard there. That was the voice of producer Mike, Mike Zimmerman, who is going to be producing this podcast going forward. So, Mike, the audience will not know anything about you. So maybe just a really nice, quick overview of who you are and what you do. Well, thanks, John. I am located, as you can tell from my accent, in the United States. I am in New Jersey. Um, Jersey Shore, actually. Nothing like the show. So let me just get that out there. For everybody, I do not pump my fist. He's from New Jersey. (laughs) I do represent Bruce Springsteen and The Sopranos, so I will gladly take those references. But uh, yeah, I'm excited, John. Uh, We've got a lot of good good stuff coming the next couple weeks. We're going to be doing some sensible transfers with yourself and JJ. Um, we're going to be doing a little Women's World Cup preview. Uh, we will speak to Rafa Honigstein as well to kind of look back at the wild Bundesliga season. So there's a lot of stuff to get into um, over the next couple months. Yeah, and we will be getting into that with you on the show. So it'll be quite nice to have a bit more chats with you on the podcast as time goes on. So welcome to the podcast and thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, John. And that is that. And we will be back in your ears within a week's time. So thank you for listening and we will see you then. Bye.